Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. in the book of first thessalonians chapter four first thessalonians chapter four amen before we get into it let's pray lord we thank you for this day god we thank you that we uh get to wake up to a, a new day a day that is full of new mercies in you god and we thank you that your mercies are new every day and so lord today as we look to um just honestly live as First Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us, live to please you, God. We pray that um, you would help us to do so. Make your word come alive to us today as we read it, study it, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Oh, that's right. Christine McGowan, thank you. Welcome home is this Sunday. Welcome home is a Sunday. So if you haven't gone to welcome home, make sure you come out this Sunday at both locations. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read it, and then we'll get into it. Finally then, brothers. Uh, let me read it up here. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Verse 9, now concerning brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who, uh, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Amen. Let's get stretched. Pretty short passage today, which is awesome. But there's so much to unpack in these uh, just 18 verses. 18 verses. Uh, first and foremost, let's talk about the theme of the book of First Thessalonians. The main theme of the book of First Thessalonians is two things. Number one, the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. And the second part is, in light of the second coming of Jesus, what Paul wants to focus on with the Thessalonians is how we should live in light of the coming of Jesus. In other words, how we should live knowing that Christ will return, that he is not dead, he's not alive, he's actually coming back for his bride, he's actually coming back for his church. And so Paul wanted to write this book to the Thessalonians to encourage them and let them know, hey, Jesus is coming back. But I also want to encourage you in how you should live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. So he, uh, the first few chapters, he does like a little opener encouragement from verses one to three or chapters one to three. In verse four, he transitions and he starts to give them instructions on what living in light of the coming of Jesus looks like. And he says, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God in the way that you have received from us, how you should live and please God. And that should be a reminder for each and every one of us, because there's typically two types of people that live in the world, right? There's two there. We, we're either on one of these spectrums. Oh, actually, I'll say three. Uh, we either live to please others or we live to please ourselves or we do what Paul tells us to do, which is to live to please God. We either live to please others, we leave, live to please ourselves, or we do what God or Paul tells us, tells us to do, and he tells us to live to please God. We are not put on this earth we have not been saved by grace. Christ did not die for you to live to please others. For you to live to please man. God did not die. He did not sacrifice his life. Jesus did not uh, shed his blood so that you could live to please yourself. This whole thing of Christianity is about walking and living to please God. And yet yeah, that means things are going to be a little bit uncomfortable that we're going to be asked to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily want to do in our flesh. But at the end of the day, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming, the way that we walk, the way that we talk, the way that we live, the way that we, uh, that we treat others, we do so out of a mentality to please God. We live to please God and no one else, not ourselves, not others. He says, just as you are doing. In other words, hey, you're living this thing out and that's great. You are living to please God and we see the evidence in your life, right? But he says, 
He says, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how to how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, don't ever get comfortable with where you're at. Don't ever get comfortable with where you're at. This journey of walk and this walk with Jesus is one of constant progression. And I like I always tell the worship team when we get on stage, right? Um, like bring the energy, right? Like Pastor Brendan is huge on this. It, when you think you're smiling too much, you're not smiling enough, right? Like when, you're, when you think you're overdoing it, you're not doing enough. Like bring the energy, right? And this is kind of the same thing that Paul is saying to the church. Hey, you're doing great. You're doing wonderful. You're living to please God, but I don't want you to get comfortable. I want you to continue to do it more and more. I want you to continue to mature in your walk and your relationship with God. This, this relationship with God is like what the, what the Bible says in the book of, of Psalms, right? From glory to glory, we're doing more and more and more. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're falling more and more in love with Jesus. We're walking and we're talking and we're interacting with people. and We're living to please God more and more as we progress in our walk with God. There is never a point where we stop growing, where we stop maturing, and where we stop living this thing out with Jesus, right? So in verse two, he says, for, you know, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Let me stop right there for a second, because I think that many of us over mystify what the will of God is for our lives. I think so many of us get halted and frozen up at this concept of what is God's will for my life? What is God calling me to do? What is God asking me to do? What is God leading me to do? What direction is God leading me? What's God's will for my life? And we over mystify it and we end up actually halting ourselves in our relationship with God and our purpose and our serving and all that stuff because we don't understand that God's will for our lives is simply this. This is what he says. For this is the will of God, verse three, your sanctification. Now, I know for many of us, that might be a new word, and it might sound like a very big biblical Christianese word. Sanctification just simply means to be set apart, to be different, to be purified, to be consecrated, to be different. In, it, in its most simplest form, I would say sanctification is this. Sanctification is God's process by which he makes us more like him and less like the world. Sanctification is a process by which God makes us more like him and less like the world. That is God's will for our lives, for us to be set apart, to become different, to become holy, to become pure as he is, to become more and more like Jesus. It's God's process of making us different from taking us out of the world and setting us apart and making us different. Now, there's a process by which God does this. He saved us, right? So in our process of sanctification, right? God saves us from our sins. He shed his blood. He died on the cross. He saves us. We give our lives to him. We put our trust in him, in him and he then regenerates us. He makes us new and in a sense has sanctified us, made us different, cleansed us from our sins. But there's this process of sanctification that you and I must continue to carry out, right? And that's what Paul gets into. He says, this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. In other words, the will of God is for you to be more holy as he is holy. The will of God is for you to be more pure as he is pure. The will of God is for you to be set apart as he is set apart, right? And then he says, he continues, and this is what sanctification looked like for the Thessalonians, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, you have to look at the context in which the Thessalonians were living in. They were living in a time where sexual immorality was not that different from what we're living in today. It was rampant. I mean, all kinds of sexually immoral things going on, orgies, uh, you name it. There was like no boundaries for what this culture would do as it pertained to sexuality and sexual morality. And so in the context that Paul is writing in, he's letting them know sanctification for you Thessalonians looks like this, that you control, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. Now that's huge because we tend to act and behave, and we'll get into this a little bit, but we tend to act and behave as if we are no, we are, we have no control over our own faculties, over our own thoughts, over our own impulses. And yes, while God gives us the grace, you and I actually have the ability to make decisions to please God or not please him, to give in to the desires of our flesh. That's why the Bible says no man uh, sins except by his own desires. Like nobody falls into temptation except that which is his own desire, right? He says, that you that you know how to control his own body in holiness and and honor verse 5 not in the passion of lust like the gentiles do who do not know god in other words because you know god you have this ability to walk in holiness you have a decision that you can make you have this ability to control the desires and the impulses of the flesh because guess what according to romans 6 and i would encourage you to read this according to romans 6 you and i are no longer slaves of sin you and i are no longer dead in sin but we are alive in the spirit and now we have become slaves to righteousness and you and I have been given the power, the ability to choose holiness over sin, to choose righteousness over sin, to choose to do what pleases God over what pleases ourselves, right? So that's what he says. He says, uh, in verse five, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, Right? Because what we need to understand is that when we are sexually immoral, right, we're not just transgressing and doing wrong. I actually love the way the NIV puts this because the NIV says in verse five, it says, um, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. When you are sexually immoral, and we have to also know that the word for sexual immorality in this context, in the original language, is porneia, which refers to any type of sexual sin that could be considered sexually immoral. Adultery, fornication, uh, uh, homosexuality, all these sexually immoral things are included in that uh, phrase, in that Greek word porneia, right? And he says 
that in doing so, when we give into sexual immorality, we are taking advantage of and doing wrong, not just to ourselves, but to our brothers and sisters. Think about this, right? When you commit adultery, you take advantage and you do wrong, not just against yourself, but against the person you commit adultery with, against your family, your spouse. Think about this uh, fornication. You're not just taking advantage of yourself and doing yourself harm. You're doing the other person harm, robbing them of the ability to walk in the purity and the sanctification of God, but also robbing them of future intimacy with the person that God has created for them in so many ways. And so sexual morality is not something that we're just doing wrong against ourselves. We are wronging and transgressing and taking advantage of our brothers and sisters when we give into these things. And this is why we shouldn't do it. Verse six continues. He says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. In all these things, right? At the end of the day, we need to understand God's grace saves us, but his righteousness holds us accountable. God's grace saves us. He is a merciful God. He is a loving God. He is a gracious God. He's merciful and he will forgive our sins. But because he is righteous, because he's holy, he has to hold us accountable. And Paul instructs them to say, hey, I want you to live to please God, to walk in a way that, that you're walking out this process of sanctification, that you're not choosing the lust of the flesh, that you're not being like the Gentiles who do not know God. Because number one, you have to live to please God. But number two, God will avenge. He will judge. He will hold us accountable. There's, there's no doubt about that. At the end of the day, the Bible says we all have uh, this one thing in common, and that is that one day we will all pass away, we will all die, and then comes judgment. We will all have to stand before God and be held accountable for the things that we do. And so we live, right? We choose to please God. We choose to walk out the uh, sanctification to control our own bodies and holiness and honor, because at the end of the day, the Lord is the one who will avenge all these things, according to verse six. And then he continues and he says, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, verse seven, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He's not called us to walk in sin. He's called us to walk in holiness. And he says, he continues and says, therefore, verse eight, whoever disregards this, disregards not man. But God, when we choose to be like the Gentiles, like those who do not know God, when we choose to walk in sexual immorality or any sin, it could be sexual immorality. It could be uh, the love of money. It could be uh, gossip. It could be alcoholism. Whatever thing we choose, it, you name it. And for the Thessalonians, their context was sexual immorality. But whenever we choose sin over righteousness, whenever we choose a life, that is geared towards pleasing ourselves, we're not disregarding man. So in other words, I'll put it this way. When you choose to live in a way that does not please God, you're not disregarding Pastor Brendan. You're not disregarding myself. 
You're not disregarding Pastor Jason or Pop or, or you're not disregarding man. You are disregarding God himself. It is a sin against God. At the end of the day, when we stand before God, we will not be held accountable to one another. We'll be held accountable to God. It won't be me and Miss Claudette up there standing on the po- <laughs> on the podium. It'll be Miss Claudette and myself. We will be standing by ourselves alone before our heavenly father to be held accountable for the ways that we regarded his word and the ways we disregarded his words. Right. And the reason why he's able to do so is the following. The, what comes after that? He says, therefore, verse eight, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And this right here is why he can hold us accountable, because he did not leave us to our own strength, to our own abilities, to our own capabilities. He did not leave us to our own devices, but he gave us his Holy Spirit that empowers us to live the life that he calls us to live. It is by the Holy Spirit that we can walk to live to please God. It is by the Holy Spirit that we can choose not to live a sexually immoral life. It is by the Holy Spirit that we can control our own bodies, as he says in verse uh, three and four and five, that we can control our own bodies in holiness and honor. The reason he can hold us accountable is because he has given everything that we need to choose a life of holiness and purity and righteousness and to walk out this uh, this process of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason he can hold you accountable is because, hear me, you are not doing this on your own. That's the point of Romans chapter 6. And I'll read this. I just want to go there real quick just to read it. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law? Right? He's been teaching them all this time that we are not under law. We're under the grace. And whoever's under the law is sin. Sin exposes or the law exposes our sin. It doesn't save us. He's been teaching them all this stuff. You can read the book of Romans. But he says this. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, by no means, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, right? He says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, this is why he can hold us accountable, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The reason why he can tell us to choose to walk in sanctification, to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be holy, to be different, is because he has taken us from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness, from being slaves of sin to slaves of the Holy Spirit. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That is why he says, whoever disregards this, disregards man, or disregards not man, but disregards God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
He's not left you by yourself to figure this thing out. He's giving us everything that we need by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the power of sin in our lives and choose to please him and not ourselves. Verse nine, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, right? God has taught you to love one another. You've been living this thing out. He says for you yourselves, uh, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. You're doing a great job loving all people, right? Love God, love people. That's the, two, the greatest commandment uh, that Jesus gave his disciples to love one another and to love, to love God and to love one another. But he says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more, right? And I, I think that the main, one of the main things that we can get from this passage is that in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, in light of the fact that we will be held accountable, in light of the fact that we have this hope of Christ returning for us, we ought to live to please him and not get comfortable in our walk where we think we're doing enough. When you think you're doing enough, you're not doing enough. And I'm not talking about making this a doctrine of works. This is not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you live to do, to do, to do, to do. What I am saying is don't ever get comfortable or stagnant in your walk with the Lord, right? There's always this process of maturing. There's always more ways that we can grow and mature and do. When we think we're loving on people, man, let's love even more. When we think we're serving people, man, let's serve even more because we are living to please God, right? He says, uh, for yourselves to do this more and more, verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly. Here's He's continuing what God's will for our lives looks like, right? This is the will of God. Sanctification, that you love one another. And look over here, verse 11, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. I just want you to put it in the chat right now. Mind your business. Mind your business, right? You don't need to be looking to the left at who's doing what. You don't need to be looking to the right at who's doing what. Well, look at this person, the way they're living. Look at the, this person, what they're doing. Look at this person, how they're treating us. Look at this person. Look. Mind your business. Paul said it, not me. I'm going to leave it right there. Live quiet lives, mind your business, and work with your hands. Get to work. Get to work, right? And this is what he says. When we do these things, as we instructed you, he says, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We live this way to be an example to people who are outside of the faith. Hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it in Jose's common translation. Shut your mouth. Mind your business. Get to work. Shut your mouth. Mind your business. Get to work. You want to live to please God? You want to set an example for other people who are outside the faith? Keep your mouth shut. Mind your business. Get to work. All right, I'm done. That's, <laughs> let's continue in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do 
who have no hope, you and I have this one hope, right? You and I don't get, don't have to grieve the way that other people grieve. We have this hope and this hope is that Jesus is coming again. Verses 13 through 18 is the idea. Listen to me. Jesus is coming again. We may have lost people in our lives. There might be people who have passed away in the faith who, you know, but Paul refers to those people as simply being asleep. And at the end of the day, when Christ returns, those people are not going to miss out. They didn't miss out. They're not going to miss out on the joy of the resurrection of Jesus. They're not going to miss out on the joy of the coming of Jesus. In fact, Paul emphasizes in verses 13 through 18 that those who have already passed away will be the first to rise, will be the first to come back, will be the first to see Christ in all of his glory, in all of his return as he comes, as he returns. And then we will ascend into heaven with him. That is why in light of the return of Jesus, let's not lose our hope, man. Let's continue, continue to strive to be more and more like Jesus, continue to strive to be different, continue to strive to set the example, continue to strive to not fall into sexual immorality, continue to strive to choose righteousness and not sin, continue to strive to be slaves of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, to entrust the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to give us joy and pleasure as we continue to serve God and serve his people well. Let's not get comfortable or stagnant in our walk, but man, let's continue to keep the fire going in our hearts, in our spirit, to love God, to love people, to serve God well, to be faithful to God because he has been faithful to us. And let's keep our mouth shut, mind our business, and get to work. <laughs> Amen. Put it in the chat. Shut your mouth, mind your business. Get to work. All right. Hey, Amen. All right. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm a little bit different. I like to have a little bit of fun. I'm going to pray for you guys. I so appreciate these, these uh, soaps and um, all the ways that, that, that God speaks to us. And, you know, I actually love that about, about the way that God moves, man. We have incredible teachers, Pop, Jason, Pastor John, uh, Nick Ferloni, um, incredible, incredible men that, that God, Pastor Brendan, and just all everybody um, that God has give, blessed us with in our church to be able to, to communicate his truth to us in a way that is applicable to, to all of us. And so um, I love you guys. Thank you guys for joining. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to become more and more like you. God, that we would put our trust not in our own abilities, but in the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live in ways that in a way that pleases you. God, that we would not give up on this process of sanctification. God, you have given us this power of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to choose to live, to be like you, to, uh, to live, to please you, to walk in a way that honors you, uh, to walk in a way that uh, that is serving to others. And so, God, I pray that you would do that this week, God, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be the example that we need to be to the world, um, that you are, in fact, coming back. 
And we will, in fact, have to respond and answer. And you will hold us accountable. But God, we have this hope of eternal life with you when we choose to trust you, to love you, to obey you, and to put all of our faith in you. God, I pray for each and every person that is on this soap this morning, God, that you would bless them, bless their homes, bless their finances, bless their families, God, and just um, that you would continue to allow them and give them the grace to, to walk out the series that we're in, to, the, to live the blessed life as we trust you in every area of our lives. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.